Welcome to an emergency edition of, hey, great shot. Westoff, you know the deal. I need tornado sirens. I need lions roaring in the background. Give me something German-related. And, of course, end with a Vern Lundquist. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gracious. How about that? Because we are here to talk about Alex Zverev's stunning straight-set win in the final of the ATP World Tour Finals. Joining me on today's podcast as the co-host, making a return appearance because he was so good in our last episode, it is former Denison men's tennis superstar, Cracked Rackets Do Everything, and of course, the third member of the Great Shot Podcast, Holy Trinity. It is everyone's favorite fill-in co-host, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot, and welcome to an emergency edition. Oh, uh, that, that means it's real special, huh? Now, well, first time being the co-host on an emergency edition, so I'm just I'm just knocking off all these firsts <laughs> on the Great Shot podcast. That's just that's just what I'm doing. Your here. bucket list has got to be looking emptier and emptier now that Zverev's right. won an event like this. That's another thing off. You can say you saw Alex Zverev beat both Federer and Djokovic consecutively. And of course, that's where we're going to start today's podcast. I'll say, as always, if you want to catch up on anything in the tennis world, you, you know, you're busy getting ready for Thanksgiving, you're on your last stretch of finals before you're headed home, anything like that, check out our website, crackedrackets.com. It will keep you up to date. If you want further updates, check out our social media as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all of those platforms, YouTube, and of course, subscribe to this podcast as well as our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. Rate that, review it, share it with your friends. Friends, anything you could do, we would really appreciate. But Jamie, when we last recorded, you know, I actually want to start this podcast with an apology. So if you could, Westoff, cue the sad violins, please. Guys, I'm sorry. I was wrong about Kei Nishikori. I said he was going to clean mm-hmm. Dominic Team's clock. I said he had just beaten him in Vienna a few weeks ago. You know, maybe it was having Jamie on whenever I've got a ne- part of the Nishikori clan. I'm a little bit biased towards him. But Dominic Team really cooked him in the final round robin match, 6-1, 6-4. Again, to our listeners, we'll get into the Zverev stuff soon, but just to recap the end of the round robin, Jamie, that was probably the most shocking result of the two day three play. I think it was, I don't know, I think it was most shocking to you. Um, (laughs) I I don't know, I really didn't think it was, I don't know. I mean, we talked about it already. Did you see Nishikori slam his racket at the end of the first set? I know, but that's why I'm saying, like, I remember, I mean, I didn't predict it going that way by any means, but, you know, I also didn't expect, I don't know, I didn't expect Nishikori to come out and, you know, play some really good tennis. I mean, he got killed in the round before by Anderson. And so, yeah, you, you know, you maybe you expect to see a bigger a bigger jump back, but, like, overall, just not a good stretch of tennis in those last two matches from Nishikori. I know I keep harping on this, but I have never seen him display that type of emotion negatively where he's slamming rackets. I mean, he was frustrated and it just seemed like he lost the forehand. The forehand was not working at all. Credit to team for coming out in this match, putting on a, you know, he's 0-2. He doesn't have much to play for at that point, but still he put together a comprehensive performance against Nishikori, kept himself alive in case Anderson managed to just annihilate Federer. Uh, Obviously that wasn't the case, but credit to team for Nishikori to come all the way back this season, back from injury, back into the top 10. Not the way you want to end your year, but still 
Good season from him. Good season from team. Let's move on to our next match in the round robin play. That, of course, on that side, Roger Federer took out Kevin Anderson, who came into the match, the hot player in the group. He was the only 2-0 and guy. And Federer, you know, kind of routine cleaning of his clock, beats Anderson 6-4, 6-3. After this match, Jamie, were you feeling pretty solid about your Federer-Djokovic final prediction? Well, I mean, yes, and I think I need to give myself some more credit. I even got a separate message from Rothman himself going, wow, nice call on the Federer win, four and three. I called it on the last pod, you know, go back and listen if you don't believe me. <laughs> Westoff, cue the applause, please. Yeah, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm always right. You know, we know this, clearly. Clearly all the predictions <laughs> That's are That's why you're hosting today. Spot on, sure, yeah. No, um, I mean, yeah, I think... I think we all, well, not we all, I shouldn't say that. I wanted to see the Federer-Djokovic um, final. Um, but, you know, as we'll get into with Zverev, that, uh, that is not the way it went. And the young German definitely had other plans. Yeah, so just real quick, in the last round-robin match, Djokovic took out Chilich, 7-6-6-2. Good fight from Chilich in that first set, but Djokovic yeah. just so relentless in that match. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked so good up until the final. Uh, but let's talk about that other guy. This is the, you know, Alexander Zverev, the guy to talk about coming out of this tournament. Obviously, it merges at, as the champ, but after losing his second match to Djokovic, just looking dejected in that second set, he yeah. goes on, beats John Isner 7-6, 6-3, no easy task. I think he gets, a cu- no, only one break of serve in that match, but he only gives Isner one break chance on his own serve. And then, obviously, getting right into his semifinal match against Roger Federer, that's a match Zverev wins 7-5, 7-6. I mean, Jamie, to me, that the thing that stood out, and unfortunately I don't have the stat in front of me, but uh, Zverev's willingness to move forward, not, not only play uh, at the net, but just take an aggressive posture in the court. He really tried to put the onus on Fed to play a little bit of defense. And we know at this point in his career, that is not what Roger Federer wants to be doing. Yeah, big time. And, you know, you see you see multiple different approaches to, you know, playing Federer. You know, when, when if it's Djokovic or something, you know, it's it's a lot of times he'll just go into points where it's just a brick wall mentality, right? Where he's like, oh, we're going to get into a neutral ground stroke game and, you know, you're 40 years old, so I can beat you at this now. Um, Zverev went a different route and he played incredibly aggressively, you know, and that was, that was apparent through his serve. I mean, putting up huge numbers for his average serves on the first um, and, you know, taking a very, very clear initiative on first strike tennis, and it worked out for him. You mentioned that serve for Zverev. He makes 66% of his first serves in this match, wins an outstanding 88% of his first serve points. I mean, we seem to forget because Alex Zverev is so proficient at not only movement, but just so solid from from the baseline. The guy is six foot fucking six, six foot He's seven. He, yeah, he can power and serves with the best of them. And you know, when you're pro- mapping out his, you know, project or projecting his future, that's what you keep looking to improve. And in this match, as I said, eighty eight percent of first serve one, sixty four percent of second serve one, saves two of three break points versus Federer, who only makes fifty seven percent of his first serve, still wins seventy eight percent of those points, sixty one percent on his second serve, but goes zero of two, or allows Vera to go two for two on break points i mean in in a match that has one break in it or a one break difference in it that that's really the difference yeah and you know something that's also overlooked when we talk about zverev's game is and at least to me that was very apparent in this match is federer just was not getting 
easy points off of his serves. And, you know, granted, maybe he wasn't his best serving day, and, you know, that is what it is. But Zverev was incredibly good, and, you know, he's got the big wingspan, and he's a great mover for his size. You know, but it's amazing how he was able to get to balls out wide and just neutralize points um, off of the Federer serve. I mean, because without, without free points off the serve, you know, Roger Federer isn't Roger Federer. I mean, that's part of what makes his game so incredible, um, and that's why he's been able to succeed even at an older age as well. Um, so the fact that Zvera was able to do that and just consistently put pressure on Federer to just have to get into ground strokes and, you know, not rely on, you know, first serve in, you know, three-ball rally and Federer wins, you know, like – that's a lot of pressure he was able to apply on Roger all match long, and it definitely showed. And from the Zverev perspective, yes, not only did he put pressure on Federer, but it's really he was getting his returns at Federer's feet or at least oh, past yeah. the service line every time. And that's something really we saw in all three of his wins to end the tournament against mm-hmm. Isner, against Federer, against Djokovic. And again, this guy is six foot six. At some point, he will figure out you know, how to hit his serve to where he is holding 90% of the time because he just has that advantage with his height and, you Mm -hmm. know, he's displayed all the skills. But to see this sort of trait from him as a returner, it just bodes so well. Again, I I mentioned this on the last pod. I don't think it's wrong to say he has, he's Chilich with more upside. Yeah, no, and we talked about that as well. And, you know, this this is a part of his game that even, you know, you could see this from a year coming now. Granted, it's definitely improved, but his ability to just get not only get his racket on the ball, but also just be able to do something effective with it, you know, in a defensive position off that first return is, it's really impressive. And I think it's only going to get better from here. Yeah. And you look at it for, uh, from Zverev, obviously he's able to continue his momentum into the next match. Before we move on to that final, I, uh, let's do a little bit of a recap for Roger Federer's season. I believe he ends the year 48 and 10, Uh, Obviously, that's incredible for a guy who's 37 years old. They said this was his 15th, maybe 16th straight appearance at the ATP World Tour Finals. He's obviously able to capture another Grand Slam this year, winning the Australian Open. Jamie, do you think we're going to see him at this event in 2019? Uh, Yeah, he'll be there. I think. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't say no. Why? Why doubt him now? You know. I, I just. You worry. I, it, it's not that you know. Obviously, as many matches as he played, where I just say he was forty-eight and ten. So that's another fifty-eight matches on his body. That's including the fact that he skipped the clay season. Mm-hmm. If he becomes even more selective with his matches, which tournaments he plays, if he doesn't have that sort of success at the Grand Slam, doesn't just start off the win with a title and get all of those points to ride all year long, I don't know, with Kachnov, with Chorich, with Zverev, with Chung, Medvedev, team, all these guys on his heels, those top eight spots, it's. I just imagine he's going to have to play a lot of tournaments if he wants to keep those ranking points up. Unless, of course, he goes on another Grand Slam run, which, as you know, I, I don't know if I see that happening. Yeah, well, I mean, and that, that, is, that is true, you know, especially... I mean, it's impressive in the sense that he was able to come in. So what? He was number three in the world and ended up being the two seed because Rafa dropped out, right? You know, um, to be able to do that without 
playing in the clay court season at all Remarkable. is incredible. Like, <laughs> so that's that's kind of why I believe that he can do it. Now, here's the thing: I don't see him playing the clay court season this year for any reason. I mean, he skipped it, and it worked. It's worked out pretty well for him. So, you know, why why fix it if it isn't broken? Sort of deal. Um, but you're right. If he's able, he's, if he's unable to, you know, come up with some big titles and you know big results at the beginning of the year, like he's been able to do in 2017 and 2018, then he might have he might have a little uh, a little difficulty getting to this event in 2019. But I'm still believing in him. Oh, it's something to watch, absolutely. And I, I lied. We do have to talk about one more thing before we get to the final. This was uh, one of the storylines emerging after the Zverev Federer match, and it's about in that second set tiebreaker. Uh, Alex Zverev, 4-3, Federer's up, he's serving. He calls a let early on in the point because he saw the ball boy drop a boy, or drop a boy, drop a ball, and the ball started right. He also dropped a child. That would have been drop definitely, that would have been let worthy. Um, but the ball started rolling towards the baseline. Zverev immediately stops the point. He, it's interesting because to me, Jamie, I saw people taking both sides of the argument and I just, I, why is there an argument over this? It it was a let. Yeah. No. Okay. I was I was worried because we didn't talk about this before. I was like, oh god, which which way are you going to say here? <laughs> no, I agree, one hundred percent. It was a let, and I, I'm glad Federer did say, you know say something. He came out afterward too, and um, you know because people have asked him this, and even even after that match. You know the conversation between Zverev and Federer at the net. It was pretty candid about you know Zverev had apologized to him, and you know Federer said to him straight up like, "Shut up!" Like you don't need to apologize to me. That was not your fault in the slightest. Like great match, you know. And it was, I'll tell you what that that put that's. I mean that makes me like Federer even more. But uh, it's so true. I mean it was a let, and you know it sucks because Federer definitely was. I mean it, if you remember that point, Federer was in a great position. He had just ripped a ball that was had incredible depth, a landed right inside return, the line. I believe. A really nice yeah, backhand return. Exactly, and so it's it's difficult because you know you think oh yeah Federer could have gone on and probably you know had a chance at winning that point from the ground and then they have to replay it and of course he doesn't and I don't know it is what it is but you're right it's part of the sport and it was a let I completely agree with you the follow-up to this was at the end of the match when Zurev is getting interviewed on court the crowd sort of started booing and mm-hmm. it wasn't exact I mean First of all, shame on those fans for booing. What a match they were just treated to. 7-5, 7-6 between two of the top five players in the world. Uh, obviously, you're right on the Federer standpoint. Handles it with grace as he always does. If I'm Roger Federer, I would point back to anyone who asked me that question and said, look, at 5-6 in the first set, I got broken at love. I think for me, that's where the problem started, not this let at one point. And of course, on that point, Zverev calls let. They replay the point. There actually ended up being a let on the next first serve. And then, of course, Zverev fires an ace. Yeah. Um, look, the ball doesn't lie. Alex Zverev earned that match. I wish fans would have been more appreciative. And I think in today's match against Novak Djokovic, the fans really were more appreciative because they were treated to an outstanding first set of tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just, yeah, last last remark on at least the Federer part before we fully transition over. It was, I mean, you could tell how difficult that was for Zverev in the, in the uh, you know, post-match interview. And I, I felt really bad for him. And, you know, he just kept apologizing and it was just super awkward because, you know, he would say sorry and explain it. And uh, the people would just keep booing. At one point, the person, I forget who it was um, who was interviewing him, but she had to just like stop and explain to the spectators what had happened and why he wasn't actually at fault. 
you know, it's just super uncomfortable and definitely not a way you want to remember a win over Federer. You know, a similar sort of situation with Osaka over Serena. Like, that's not how you want that sort of match to end and how you want that feeling to be. But it is what it is. Yeah, and I, I should say on one last thought on Federer is the Uniqlo is growing on me. I hate to say it, but it, it really the all bl- or the blue shirt on the blue court. It was a smooth. Fed looked good. He he looked, looked like, good. Yeah, he he wore it well. Um, yeah, getting back to that Zverev Djokovic final in that first set. I mean, talk about Alex Zverev. We, he goes from being washed in his second round ma- or his second round robin match against Djokovic to in this match there was not a single ball he quit on. He tracked down everything. And just because he's so big, whenever he gets to a ball, he's able to generate enough pace. And Djokovic wasn't able to move Zverev around on a slinky or on a, you know, on a string like he was in that first matchup between them. And it's a testament to Zverev for displaying a smarter aggression in this match. He came out with a slightly uh, different game plan. I don't think he was intimidated at all attacking the Djokovic backhand. I think Zverev thinks his backhand can hang with anyone. And in this match, again, the biggest thing that that points out to me is Zverev on the return. He Djokovic comes into this match having not gotten yep. broken all tournament, and in this match, he only wins 35% of his second serve points. Zverev ends up breaking Djokovic four times during the match. Uh, it was just... It was a display from Zverev that... I'm so happy it came at the end of the year because this is the last taste that everyone's going to have on him. And so all of the Grand Slam Michigas from earlier in the year, it's gone now because they've seen him deliver on a stage like this. And it was just so impressive. Okay, well, it's not gone (laughs) because it's not a slam. So I'll stop you right there. Um, But no, you're right. In terms of this, this, the end of this event for Zverev, just so impressive. Um, And, you know, we keep forgetting the guy's 21. You know, yeah. no, it's <laughs> I, mean, ridiculous. I, I was having and, an, a, an argument with Rob Thomas of the Cracked Rackets team in our slack. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Zverev doesn't have any grand slams and Federer's done all this. Well, guess what? Zverev's still 21 years old and he's already won a world tour final and he's been top five in the world for two years in a row. And you're right. The grand slam stuff isn't going away, but it's just like, get over it. I mean, this guy has won multiple Masters. He's now won this event. He's beaten all of the big four. Uh, he he deserves his spot in the ranking. It's he's not there by fluke. No, he does, and uh, yeah, I'm not saying that. So you can you can save that tirade for someone yeah, else. That was but, um, that was directed at you, Rob. So I hope you. Listen. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but no, I mean you're right. Like in terms of this match, you know, you could tell that he was just going to go after. He's just going to go after that Djokovic second serve, um, you know, and, and you got you got to think he's got to have some confidence because if he was able to put that much pressure on Federer's serve, he knew that he could do it to Djokovic as well, um, and so that that we saw that, you know, he was going after those second serve returns. He was not giving Djokovic any free points on those really. I mean, occasionally if he'd miss a return, he went too big for, but for the most part, no, he was just doing a great job of keeping pressure on him and not giving him any easy looks. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I would also point out Zverev again in this match makes seventy two percent of his first serves, wins seventy nine percent of those points compared to Djokovic's thirty five. Zverev wins fifty four percent of his second serve points. He looked comfortable moving forward. I know we're only a, a month maybe in with his partner with Lendl, but it's as uh, partnership with Lendl, but that seems to be paying dividends already. I just think. The upside for Alex Zverev in 2019 and just moving forward in his career is so outstandingly high. And I guess my last question to you about Alex Zverev, Jamie, is 
Uh, I mean, we have such a long off season to talk about this, but still, is, is the expectation for 2019 now for Zverev Grand Slam or bust? I don't know if or bust, well, but then it's is- just going to be in his head. It's going to be. It's going to be in people's heads, certainly, because that conversation's already there. Fair, it, Whether that's fair or not, I mean, I think it's more the fact that he's now been at the top of the world for a while. He's, in, he's been in that realm, and yet he still just hasn't been able to get you know, you know, solid breakthroughs. And so I think the conversation isn't necessarily this or bust, but I think if he doesn't have you know, deep runs, we're talking you know, semis, finals uh, a couple times, or you know, take one, possibly. If he doesn't do that, I think it becomes a more relevant conversation because it's like, oh, what's this guy's deal at the slams? He's got multiple masters events. He won the, you know, the year end tour finals. Like what's up with him at the majors? And so I think that's when it becomes, you know, a bigger sort of like mental obstacle sort of deal. You know, it's not bust. Obviously the guy's not a bust. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because I didn't mean for the question to be uh, implied that way. I just, I feel so bad for the kid. And you see in interviews, he's so candid. He displays a knack as a 21-year-old, an honesty that I just don't think we see from a lot of these players now. They're so trained to just give the media fluff answers. And Zverev says what's on his mind. And, you know, he gets criticized for that because he is a little arrogant. What 21-year-old who's number five in the world wouldn't be? Um, But still, it's a fresh perspective that I think tennis has been missing for a while. We've grown so accustomed to these big four and their personalities that it's nice to see someone new emerge and have this sort of success at a young age. And then, you know, from a tennis standpoint, some of the combos he displayed against Federer, he just was going after the Federer backhand and Federer would hit some just incredible slices down the line. Yet Zvira seemed so comfortable, you know, bending his knees, getting low and getting that forehand back down the line with depth to keep the ball at the Federer backhand. He's got all the skills available to him. It really is just a matter of, you know, when, not if he's going to do it. That being said, you're right. The expectations now, they're sky high. And it was funny because Brad Gilbert at the end of the final match said, so, you know, now that you have this title, how does this change how you're going to prepare in the 2019 offseason? And to Zverev's credit, he says, you know, this doesn't change anything. It's one title and it really, it's not the end goal. I still, mm-hmm. I have bigger goals in mind and that's, you know, a right. testament to him. And I think that's going to be the thing is, can he get himself physically in a place where three out of five sets, he can dominate the way he can dominate in a two out of three set match. Right. No, that's fair. But so, I mean, 2019 will be a test for multiple reasons, but guess only time will tell completely agree with you well then before we move on to do our last thing in this podcast any final thoughts on the atp finals you want to share i think it's interesting we look at look at the last few winners of this thing it's not it's not Djokovic or federer you know it was well, murray don't, it was don't murray. you now dare don't you dare put murray in the category as dimitrov and zverev winning no don't it's you not the dare. same category relax he finished the year world number one by winning that tournament yeah because he won that title that's what i'm saying it's like we're we're used to these i mean and that i mean 2016 was a year of itself where djokovic was dominating then fell off then murray had that incredible run to one but what i'm saying is you know it, it wasn't a djokovic or federer title obviously it wasn't gonna be nadal because he doesn't win there and <laughs> you know, he dropped out of this one, which is, you know, fine. Um, but no, it's, I was just making the simple point that it's not Djokovic and Federer tournament, maybe. Wait, you know, so got, real quick, Nadal has never won the World Tour final, right? Yeah. So in the greatest of all time debate now, Alex Zverev, you have that over Nadal. Keep that in your back pocket. Someday it might that become valuable. Just, okay, that's <laughs> sure, sure. 
but no, anyway, I mean, no, I'm not putting Murray in any of those camps. You can even keep it to the last two years if you want. I mean, Dimitrov and now Zverev, it's just, you know, it's not it's not the same people winning it Completely. over and over. I agree with you. And last year we saw both Dimitrov, Sock, I think Gofen as well make those right. semifinals and yep. compete. This year you have yep. Anderson and Zverev. You know, it's a long season, and if those top guys are ever going to be feeling it, it's at the end of the year. And so Mm -hmm. it's been great to see different players capitalize. Hopefully they'll be able to do that more so in the bigger events, the Grand Slams, moving into the 2019 season. But yeah, fun way to end the individual year. We've obviously still got the France-Croatia Davis Cup. I think that's next weekend. But um, I believe that's right. Yeah, good final event. I want to talk about... One more match before we go, though. And I would have done an emergency pod just on this match, but I know the market for it may not have been as great. <laughs> but we have to talk about about it before we go, Jamie. My match of the week was not in London. It was not in Houston for the Oracle Challenger, although there were plenty of great matches there. But for me, the match of the week on the ATP Tour uh, this week was in Champaign during the Champaign 2018 Challenger. For the first time in their professional careers, Riley Opelka matched up with fellow young American and a guy who, if you know anything about these two, they're best friends off the court, young American Tommy Paul, and takes him out in the semifinal, 2-6, 6-4, 6-4. Opelka goes on to win the Champaign Challenger title, his second Challenger title in a row after he won Knoxville last week. He's earned himself a place in the top 100, and for the first time since Fish, uh, Roddick, and Ginepri. We have three Americans under the age of 21 inside the ATP Top 100. I mean, Jamie, let, let's talk about the Opelka-Paul match first. So these two guys, to Tommy Paul's credit, if you don't know, Tommy had he has had injuries all year long, been struggling with a left knee, missed a bunch of time this year. A couple of weeks ago, he won a challenger title in Charlottesville, lost last week um, in the first round, I believe in Knoxville, to be Yorn for Tangelo, but then comes back here, makes the semifinals, played some outstanding tennis along the way, and then in this match, I think both of these guys displayed the upside of a top 100 player, and it would not shock me if they say healthy to see both progress well into the top 100 in 2019. No, that's fair. Uh, I mean, this was this match was just an incredibly high level of tennis, um, and this is something that I actually love about watching the Challenger Tour matches. Is honestly just like the camera angles; it's just <laughs> so much more unique. It, you get so you get such a more genuine, real feeling of how hard these people are hitting the ball, their incredible movement, how fast every shot is really coming in. You know what you actually have to do to return the ball. You don't see that when you're watching. You know when you're watching ESPN Wimbledon, you don't see that. The camera angles they kill the depth perception, and you know for better or worse, maybe it's better for viewing and spectating. But as someone who loves tennis, you know you have to respect watching these challenger tour matches because you see that and it's just incredible. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's another rant in terms of this match itself and the tennis that was played. Um, just incredibly fun to watch from, from start to finish. And, you know, there were some, there were some awkward ish moments, you know, just for the, just for the fact that, you know, these guys are our best friends. Um, and so that's always going to be, a, bring a weird dynamic to a match, but I think they, they both handled it really well. Um, they kept their intensity, they, but they weren't, you know, jerks or anything in each other's faces. And um, it was just entertaining so start to finish. A couple of points. First of all, 
I love that tangent there. I agree. The camera angle, I am personally a huge fan of Mike C. Tennis, Mike Cation, who does the play-by-play calls for the Challenger 2, or at least the American events. Um, But yeah, it allows you to see the game much more clearly than an ESPN match with the Mm -hmm. stadiums in the background and the spotlights and all that. It is a much more genuine form of tennis. And in this match, you know, it's funny, you talk about things not getting out of hand. Opelka questioned a couple of calls in this match and at one point really got into it with the line judge. You know, he's saying, I know this is not your fault, but I can't have this line judge on the court. You know, it's four all in the third and he's missing these calls or whatever the point was. And Opelka could have lost it there, but he didn't. He was locked in, and, you know, you talk about a contrast of styles. For Opelka, he's seven feet tall. We know what we're going to see from him. Huge mm-hmm. serves, and God damn, is that serve getting bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, for Tommy great. Paul, though, he chased everything down. And I'm sure these guys have practiced millions of times together. And, you know, I think that's why Tommy Paul was able to get such a good read on the Opelka serve. Um, In in the first two sets, I think he held Opelka to under 40% uh, of points one on his second serve. Tommy's got to know where Riley's going. At the same time, it was cat and mouse. Riley was pushing Tommy around and Tommy was chasing down everything. And he saves one match point. It's 4-5, 30-40. They have about a 25-ball rally. You could tell Opelka's tight. He finally moves forward and Tommy hits an on-the-run forehand pass, which if you haven't seen, I believe the clip got pulled on YouTube. I mean, these guys are both so good. And I don't know. Here's here's my fun tangent for you, Jamie. We can explore this more in the off season. But when I was younger, growing up, the group I was always uh, excited about was the 1998 Americans. In that group, you have Tiafo, you have Michael Moe, and you have Stefan Kozlov, who obviously all had a ton of junior success. The less heralded group at the time, the late bloomers, were the 97s, Opelka, Paul, and Taylor Fritz. At this point of in what we know in 2019, you know, Riley and Michael Moe ranked pretty similarly. Taylor and Francis ranked pretty similarly. You know, Stefan was ranked up there, has now fallen out of the top 400, but he's right around there. Tommy now right around 200. What's the better class of American tennis prospects, Jamie? Oh, between those two, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think it switches just based on, well, it's difficult to say because, you know, you're comparing. Neck and sometimes neck you're comparing. Now. Neck and neck. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I feel like a lot of times you could put any of those guys against each other, and I wouldn't know who's going to win mm-hmm. on a given day, you know. But you, you, you got to. It's difficult because a lot of the times, you know, these ninety-seven guys, like you just said, you know, not Fritz necessarily, but um, you know, Apelka and Paul, they're playing challenger events a lot, and you know, granted, you know, that's you know not being healthy and having injuries, and I get that. Um, but you know, it's hard to compare that against the stage of someone, you know, who's playing majors and big time tournaments left and right. But regardless of that, I think the upside of the 97 class, especially after we see a match like this is incredibly high. Opelka, he, he, uh, he hopped in front of Jack saw, correct? Correct. And um, I, I want to make a quick note. You say we see them on the challenger circuit. At one point, Opelka was getting frustrated with the line calls and just said out loud, I got to get off the challenger circuit. Yeah, he was I like, heard this that. This is ridiculous. And <laughs> I heard that. And to his credit now, he's top 100. He may have afforded himself that luxury. He can be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, uh, it's, a, it's a yeah. tough question. All of their upsides, you're right. They're all incredibly – I mean, 
for op- Max Fligner, our super producer, I was talking to, to, about this match, and he made the point, I, you know, I was saying, I don't think Isner could move the way Opelka does. Look at the way he's staying with Tommy on the baseline. And, you know, Tommy Paul, is he's as good of a baseline grinder, I guess, as anyone on the challenger uh, level. But then, you know, Max made the point, well, Isner obviously would move like that if he's playing someone who hits the ball like Tommy Paul. Uh, obviously, Isner at one point progressed through the challenger circuit, so he would look as as good as Riley does now. That being said, Riley's lateral agility has just gotten better and better. It and has. his ability to hit on the run for a seven-foot person is just incredible. It is. And he's and not only is he doing that, he's just putting himself in the right positions so that he doesn't have to be in super awkward, you know, uncomfortable places that a seven-footer doesn't want to be. You know, especially where I see it the biggest. I mean, clearly he does it on the serve. Duh, that's the biggest part of his game. Um, but on the returns, he goes after returns. And granted, you can you can make the same comparison you were just talking about where, yeah, this the serves you're seeing on the Challenger Tour, you know, don't have the same kick and don't have the same pace as the ones, um, you know, a couple a couple levels up and that's that's maybe fair however his ability and his willingness to just crack returns is something that i think is going to you know separate him from the pack i i've loved the renewed aggression from riley sometimes it gets a little out of control and i think 100%. and i think riley also he gets frustrated on the court way or visibly frustrated maybe a little bit too often at the same time 17 aces against four double faults when 78% of his first serve points uh, saved three of five break points. I mean, uh, okay, even beyond the 97-98 argument, uh, given there are 100 spots separating them in the rankings right now, I understand if you want to take one over the other. But who's ranked higher at the end of 2019, Riley or Tommy? Who's ranked higher? Yeah. I think it. I think you got to go with Riley, given his momentum and he's got a ton of points to defend. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, nine I of nine know. in I, ATP quarterfinal matches this year. I mean, I'm or, or in challenger quarterfinals. In challengers, this year. yeah. I think you got to go with Opelka, though. Yeah. Um, I would love to say it. I would love to see it be Tommy. I. I mean, I've said this multiple times. I love watching. Tommy play I love his game style um and you know if he can truly master that you know he's he's got all the shots um and we, we and should so, say we didn't spend much time talking about him in this match Tommy Paul wins 67 or makes 67 percent of his first serves wins 69 percent of those points 55 percent of his second serve points again tracked everything down showed a right. willingness to serve and volley when he got yep, stretched because he knows take time away from the big man and you're in a better position he has all the skills. You're absolutely right. It's just can he put a string of a month together of consistent tennis? And, I mean, if that's the question, that's a good question to have at this point of his career. And, you know, given that he's 21 years old, that he's displayed the level, it's just a matter of doing it week in, week out. But yeah. still, it's a big question. What I would really like to see from Tommy Paul, at least in 2019, is when we get to the clay course season, Get him, hopefully he can maybe progress above the Challenger Tour and he's getting in those, you know, 250s, you know, and have a good result because, you know, we, we've seen him on clay. He's an incredible clay court player. Get him on those 250s and see what he can do and have a deep run. You know, I would love to see if he could pull that off a couple times in 2019. It's interesting because with the Australian Open wild card, Opelka now should get in on his ranking. Uh, you think Sock, if there are a couple withdrawals, could probably get in on his own ranking. 
Tommy Paul, I think Roy Smith, who made the final in Oracle, again, a great run by him. He's a Baylor player. Um, I think Tommy's right in the mix where if those two guys get on the ranking, he will get that wild card, and it would be great to see him get a main draw wild card to the Australian Open yeah. because I think he could do some damage, make a second, make a third round. Yeah, no, that would be great. And like I, like I said, I would love to, I would love nothing more than to see, you know, breakthrough like that. And, um, yeah, like I said, I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah. I, I think I think really it's difficult for these players too because, you know, the Challenger Tour is a great place for all this. And, you know, they're honing in their school skills. And But the thing is with these guys' upsides, they're better than Challenger Tour, you know. Yeah. They they have that game. And so it's just a matter of getting there. Completely agree with you. And with the Challenger Tour, Futures Tour changing in 2019, it will be interesting to see how those players adjust as well, if that helps or hurts them as they're mm-hmm. trying to make their jumps up the rankings. But all right, Jamie, again, I could te- keep talking about Opelka and Paul for the rest of you know the off season, and I'm sure we will talk about them later on. But we'll leave it there for now. Jamie... I, you know, again, that pretty much puts the cap on the 2018 season. We have a full off season to talk about storylines looking ahead, but looking back, any preliminary hot takes about the 2018 season? What do you think we'll remember it for? Oh, we will remember it for the largest. (laughs) We will remember it for the largest disparity between single success and double success and be reminded of how different those games are. Jack Sock. I don't know. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's Jack Sock. <laughs> um, and I think that's one thing. I think we will be obviously thinking about Djokovic and his return to the top. Um, and then once again, the old guys are sticking around. How many more years will they be sticking around? I, I agree with you. Here's what I would add. It would. We saw the the fall of the Bryan dynasty. We. I was talking about this with Rothman earlier. I think Mike and Bob should just have joint custody of Jack for the 2019 season, and they should alternate playing events with him. That way, they both get to stay fresh throughout the year, but they both get their fix in. Mm, but then, yeah, then you're messing with returning sides. But yeah, well, maybe. I like. I like the thought. It, it would. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. I also think my last storyline is we'll remember this as the year that got away from the middle generation. You know, the Rayonich, the Dimitrovs, the Gofens. Another year, another lack of results from them. And Jack yep. Sock, I'll throw in there too, because obviously he had a cluster f- of singles year. Um, but other than that, really excited about what, what all these storylines looking into 2019 and what we'll be seeing from a lot of these young guys. Uh, yeah, again, with that said, we want to thank you all for listening. It was an incredible 2018 season, and of course, we'll have a ton of content still coming your way in this off season. But one last time, huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff. They have a f***ing editing job to do as always, and they've been killing it all year long. For my wonderful fill-in co-host and third member of the Great Shot Podcast, Holy Trinity, Jamie McDonald, uh, thank you for filling in on such short notice and as always killing it. Uh, you know, of course. It's my pleasure. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. And from the entire Cracked Rackets team, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we say for the last time in the 2018 individual ATP season? That was a long question. Hey, <laughs> great shot. Should we do another hour on that question? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep that off camera and we will save it for you guys later. Thanks for listening.